0: This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. We're very pleased to have Mexico's Deputy Minister of Foreign Trade, Juan Carlos Baker, here with us this afternoon. Juan Carlos has built his career over more than 20 years inside of Mexico's Ministry of the Economy, where he has held a variety of positions related to the economic relationship with North America and the rest of the world, where his work has supported the country's economic relationships globally. He is a graduate of the TEC de Monterrey and also completed studies at the University of Warwick, and we're very pleased to have him here representing the Ministry of the Economy this afternoon. So without any further ado, I will turn the floor over to Juan Carlos Baker. Thank you very much for being with us this afternoon. Muchas gracias. Thank you very much for that kind introduction. I know the time is um, very limited, so I will uh, be very brief in my comments. First of all, I would like to thank uh, the invitation on behalf of Secretary Ildefonso Guajardo, myself, obviously the Ministry of the Economy. Uh, it's good to be here, and it's good to be with uh, so many friends, so many friends I have known for, for many years now, so many friends that I have had the opportunity to work uh, here in San Diego and also in Mexico City. Uh, in a previous life, I had uh, the privilege to serve as Director General for North America for seven years. So I usually twice a year uh, went through the length and breadth of the border, usually starting here in Tijuana, San Diego, and ending up 10 days later uh, in the other side of the border in Brownsville, Matamoros. So that always gave me uh, a very good uh, sense of how the relationship between the two countries um, was going at that particular time. I have always believed that um, the border is the, the point where our two countries meet, not the line that divides us. And uh, just coming here uh, and using the CBX Express crossing that I had also the opportunity to, to see from the very moment that uh, it was planned and the blueprints and now seeing it in uh, full operation, uh, it really reinforced to me again that idea, the line uh, that brings us together is the border. So um, again, I won't really tell you much, or I won't really get into the details or giving you uh, numbers of how important our trading relationship is or how uh, we are currently at a moment on which um, the pillars and the foundations of what we have worked for in the past two decades are at peril. I think that some of the speakers that, uh, that preceded me had already touched upon that. What I will tell you though, uh, just briefly sharing my, my own personal views uh, and those of uh, the Ministry of the Economy regarding precisely that question that, uh, that was posed uh, in the program. What, what comes ahead? What is going to happen in the next uh, few weeks or months? And well, naturally, uh, playing a little bit la- like the Oracle, uh, the reality is that, I don't know, I couldn't really tell you in full detail What's going to happen? But being a very responsible public officer uh, accountable to the Mexican citizens, I think it's our responsibility to be prepared for every possible scenario uh, that is conceivably uh, out there in terms of the NAFTA. And I'm just going to restrict my comments to the economic and trade relationship, which is the responsibility of my portfolio. Um, the larger question as to what's going to happen between the U.S. and Mexico or what's going to happen in North America also lies in part in you, lies in uh, what the stakeholders, what the believers in this powerful partnership that we have are also going to do. But we'll get into that before before I close. Uh, again, well, um, how, how do we get to this point? How, how did we uh, went from having the most dynamic, the most... Uh, a brand new trade agreement to the point right now where we are that NAFTA has become such a such a, a word, really. And some of the speakers previously were were saying that um, the the fact that uh, we never spoke about renegotiating the NAFTA was only normalizing the situation that we are in currently. Uh, and I and I at that moment remembered that uh, it's uh, it was in the past more than once, suggested that we needed to to upgrade the NAFTA. We never really spoke about renegotiation of the NAFTA because renegotiation in terms of semantics really is about someone uh, getting more of the agreement not what the other party uh, is getting, and we don't agree with that view. NAFTA has been a sound success for all its partners. And the numbers are there. Again, I won't get into those. Um, but um, I do believe, regardless of several uh, attempts in the past of uh, Coming up with new ideas as to how to make uh, North America more competitive, uh, I do believe that at some point we took each other for granted, and and I do not mean to to reflect that in this particular geographical location because Tijuana, San Diego, the Baja region by far is example of how our two countries are really intertwined, uh, but but for so many years really. Uh, we had different agendas, and the items that were there, the items that we were seeing, and the business community knows this very well, the, the items that were needed to keep North America at the edge of competitiveness vis-a-vis of the regions were not necessarily addressed in, in the right way. Um, but having said that, uh, the truth is we are where we are. Uh, and uh, as we got into this, uh, in these discussions or into these uh, Reflections as to what to do with the NAFTA, what to do with North America, especially in a circumstance where there are so many half-truths, misconstructions, or lies about what the NAFTA represents, uh, the question comes, what do we do? Uh, and I need to, to be very honest with you, and the reality that the reality is that as of now, despite the rhetoric or despite what you may have heard in the news, I do not have... Uh, a single letter outlining the objectives of the U.S. in this uh, so-called renegotiation of the NAFTA. I do not have any paper with ideas. I do not have any indication of what the U.S. uh, government or the U.S. administration, rather, uh, would like to see in such a review. Um, I just crossed the border, as I mentioned to you. The trucks carrying goods keep flowing to the border. The numbers for our 2016 trade uh, figure just came out last week. Uh, So despite despite all of that, the reality keeps imposing itself. Reality is very stubborn, and reality keeps imposing itself in terms of our global value chains being linked, our companies being intertwined and doing business in both sides of the borders and in Canada as well. I'll get into that point uh, in a few minutes too. I was in Toronto last week with Secretary Ojardo and Secretary Villegaray uh, to meet our, our Canadian friends. Um, so again, just without really knowing what's going to be ahead in the future because of this absence of a clear proposal or some ideas, uh, that nonetheless uh, is, is not something that the Mexican government feels comfortable of not doing nothing. So uh, since we don't know what, we, what our partners want to do, we went the other way around trying to decide what Mexico was able to discuss, what Mexico was unable to discuss, and what were the items that clearly were off the table. So based on that, as President Peña Nieto delivered a very powerful speech that if, if some of you may have seen it, if not, I invite you to, to look at the transcript or, or see the video on YouTube. And in that, in that speech, President Peña Nieto instructed us to conduct the relationship with North America, especially the U.S., based on five principles and ten objectives. Now, all of those principles and objectives are really horizontal in nature. They touch upon migration, security, and other issues. For the sake of this discussion, I will just mention to you those that are related to trade. First one is Mexico is not about to entertain any conversation whatsoever that implies doing away our free trade. So if we're speaking about, uh, if if the conversation, when when that conversation, if, uh, comes to happen, uh, if the discussion is about whether Mexico is going to pay 20 or 25% of tariff, if Mexico is about to enter into schemes of managed trade or voluntary export restriction, it's going to be a very short discussion because we just won't get into that. You know, the last time, and I remember because I was there, The last time the U.S. and Canada phased out its tariffs to Mexico in 2003. Mexico phased out its own tariff to the U.S. and Canada in 2008. So that means that there's over a decade or 15 years on which tariffs are unheard of in North America. Even if you go around and you ask business people, okay, so how how about the tariff? They will even look at you awkwardly. Why? Why would I pay a tariff? It's, It's something unheard of. And businesses have factored in that reality in their operations. So that's principle number one. Uh, Principle number two, related to trade, of those that uh, President Peña Nieto outlined a few weeks ago, is that um, any discussion, as it was also suggested, it was also stated earlier today, uh, certainly the NAFTA, is 23 years old. There are many things that we can do in that regard. There are many provisions that either didn't exist or we were not able to get into the agreement back then, but 2017 looks different now. So are we open to have a discussion on, uh, on that? Absolutely. But again, it's about going forward. If the discussion is about picking up the NAFTA and deciding which chapters we're going to rip off because we don't like them anymore, again, it's going to be a very short discussion. But if the discussion goes on the sense of how do we manage our border? How do we make it an element of competitiveness? How do we incorporate elements such as the treatment of state-owned enterprises? How do we make sure that uh, trade trade, uh, remedy laws and similar provisions do not affect uh, or are are used to address issues regarding unfair trade practices from other countries? How do we... uh, incorporate the energy, telecommunications, and many other items that are out there, the reality of the day-to-day operation of businesses that are not present in NAFTA, then that's a discussion that we want to have. And Mexico has its own ideas. The U.S. does as well. And the Canadians do as well. So that's a negotiation that we want to talk about. But again, if it's about going backwards, then that's, that's not something that we are able to entertain. And the third principle, and this is very important, Uh, NAFTA, by nature, has three partners, Canada, Mexico, and the U.S. After a very long, hard negotiation, uh, a deal was struck 23 years ago. Uh, An agreement is that. By definition, an agreement is an agreement. Everyone agrees on what was in that text. In order to redo that again, we need to have the three partners at the table. And, and recently there was this, um, some of the elements as well that were mentioned earlier today as to whether the, bilateral, the discussion was going to be bilateral or trilateral or what have you. The reality, I believe, is that uh, as of now at least, the instrument that uh, uh, rules our trade and relationship is composed by three members. So any changes, any updates, any reviews, any... Fill in the blank of the word that you want to use for the process has to be agreed upon the three partners now those are the principles that Mexico is following again in this uh, discussion that hasn't happened yet and, and, and we don't really know what's going when that is going to happen which takes me to the second point and I will just make two quick comments here before closing uh, the the expectations or the possibilities of uh, a discussion taking place soon, I believe, are, are, are not there. Uh, if the U.S. wishes to follow the Trade Promotion Authority procedures, the TPA procedures, uh, that will require some consulting, public consulting to do in the U.S. Uh, just the beginning of the conversation would take, uh, the consultations, I'm sorry, will take a period of 90 days. So assuming that uh, President Trump uh, notifies Congress its wishes to, uh, to start a negotiation, uh, and that triggers a 90-day consultation period, it will take you down to June. And if it happens two weeks from now, three weeks from now, one month from now, just keeps adding. The 90-day period consultation, it's a requisite in the TPA uh, legislation, and, and it's something that the U.S. has to fulfill. Again, it, again, it, it is a hypothetical discussion because we don't know for sure. Uh, So what we're doing in Mexico, what are we doing? How do we prepare for this situation or how do we prepare for this circumstance for the day that it comes? Uh, And we started a process of consultation with the private sector. So I have spent a lot of time and my boss has spent a lot of time, my my team as well, in terms of actually sitting down with the business organizations, with uh, many of the several representations of our stakeholders, the Senate and so on, asking them, okay, so imagine for one second what what would you like to see again following these principles in the NAFTA uh, for the future? How do we upgrade that? Give me your ideas. And to tell you the truth, the response has been fantastic. We are getting a lot of ideas because uh, certainly once uh, that the agreement has been enforced for for this long, we know by experience what what can be done better. Uh, so we're. Taking those, those inputs, it's a consultation process that it will continue. It's a consultation process that it will also uh, give us some ideas in terms of uh, what are our own topics, our own responsibilities, and our own desires to have in this uh, new uh, agreement that we will have hypothetically again. Um, that goes hand in hand with another another strategy that President Peña Nieto has instructed to us, which is to well be prepared for the situation in which um, uh, either the negotiation or the talks uh, do not fulfill their objective or if one of the parties uh, and we know which one we're talking about uh, decides to well take take the other the other high, the other way uh, which which again i must underscore mexico is not going to negotiate something just because just for the sake of something, if that is the case, that either the principles are not met, or what we see in those talks goes against our national interest, well, that's something that we are prepared for. And this is where also the other situation or the other, the, the other uh, policy that we are following also comes into play, which is to, uh, to diversify our commerce, to diversify our sources, both of supply and also of, of exports, you know that Mexico is a very open nation. We have uh, 12, uh, 12 free trade agreements uh, with 46 countries. And right now we're in the process of deepening our relationship with the European Union. We expect to have a good agreement with them close by the end of this year. Uh, Tom was mentioning already the agreement that Canada uh, has reached with the European Union. Certainly, we we are looking at that as an inspiration to also have very high levels of ambition in our current trade with the EU, which is 65 billion dollars. It's not small. Well, everything is small compared with the trade that we have in the NAFTA. But $65 billion, again, currently is is not a small figure. Likewise, we are reaching out to our partners in Latin America. We're trying to get a negotiation with uh, with Brazil and with Argentina, Uh, interesting markets that uh, for some years, well, they were distracted. They were uh, occupied with a different agenda. But it's good to see them back. Uh, Mexico never really left. As you can see in our dealings in the Alianza Pacifico with Colombia, Peru, and Chile, we have always maintained a strong footing in Latin America. They're our friends, our partners, and they they certainly are eager to help. Uh, Asia-Pacific, and for a community here in in San Diego, Tijuana, uh, it's very important to have the the look towards Asia-Pacific. The fact that the TPP, sadly, did not go through as as we planned uh, does not mean that Mexico is going to turn its back to Asia-Pacific. Right now, we only have an agreement with Japan. Again, very successful, uh, $26 billion in trade. uh, But that's the only one that we have. Other markets, Australia, uh, Singapore, New Zealand, uh, many of them still hold uh, a very good opportunity for our products uh, and also sources of uh, investment in our country. So uh, the fact that the TPP, as I said, didn't go through as we planned, that doesn't mean that Mexico is going to turn its back to Asia Pacific. It's very important. Uh, The largest markets are there, both in terms of GDP growth, but also in terms of consumers. Uh, Those are the the, the markets that are growing. So as you can see, uh, Mexico is preparing several fronts for the situation uh, that we currently have. On the one hand, doing our due diligence, uh, stating clearly, what are our objectives, and what are the red lines that we cannot cross, preparing also uh, to have a second, second, uh, second options in terms of reaching out to other markets and other friends as well, and I also should say uh, in doing uh, our homework internally, in strengthening our domestic market, in making sure that several of the things that we know in Mexico uh, can be done better are do so better. Um, I will stop here. I, I will just uh, tell you that uh, uh, despite, despite the temptation, despite how uh, it might seem appealing right now to take a very strong radical view of the current situation, as you can see, uh, we are on the opposite side. We are giving a lot of careful and dedicated thought to the options that we have. Certainly, Mexico does not want to depart uh, or to have a trade war with the U.S. That's, that's not something that uh, is in our interest. But as I was saying, as uh, responsible public officers, we need to be prepared for every scenario. And right now, that's what we are uh, dedicating our time uh, to prepare. Uh, I, I also believe that uh, this is the moment where our allies... Uh, need to speak up. I heard in previous panels, too, about who's going to make Mexico's case in Washington. Uh, And and I fully agree with everything that was said. But it's not only about doing the case in in Washington. It's about doing the case in Chicago. It's about doing the case in Los Angeles. It's about doing the case in Houston. It's about doing the case in North Dakota, in Nebraska, in Iowa, in all those places where maybe they are not as aware of the close relationship and the benefits that those communities have by being close to Mexico, as maybe San Diego, Tijuana does realize that. So it's a process of educating, sure. It's a process of putting out the facts and the figures, absolutely. Uh, And we will do so. Our private sector, we will do so. Our stakeholders also will do so. But we need your support. We need here in the U.S. also, our allies, to make the case of uh, how we are better uh, by being together with our Canadian friends as well than being apart. Thank you so much for the invitation. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.